One of the most common questions we get asked at Medics Money is, should I start a limited company to save tax? And a bit like when a patient asks us a question which may seem simple to them, that question is actually really, really complex to answer. But in this podcast, we take you through the factors that you need to think about to answer that question for yourself, because there's no doubt that for some of us, working via a limited company makes a lot of sense. But we also think that there's a lot of people that are using limited companies out there who probably aren't getting any benefit from it at all. And about halfway through the podcast, we actually go through a worked example of the tax that three different doctors pay operating via a limited company, uh, via self-employment or via a limited company taking salary and dividends. And I've dropped the link to that slide so that you can follow along with those calculations in the show notes so you can have a look and follow along. And I'll also try and put this up on our YouTube channel, which also contains replays of some of the webinars that we do on Medics Money, uh, which are incredibly popular. So definitely check out our YouTube channel. Uh, of course, I'm going to remind you to subscribe to this podcast if you're finding it useful. And if you are finding it useful, please spread the word because we need to help all doctors to make better financial decisions. The other thing to point out is that we recorded this just before the budget um, and there may have been some changes by the budget. And I related to that point, of course, as with all Medics Money podcasts, the information here is for entertainment purposes only and does not represent any form of financial advice. Right, let's get started. Welcome to the Medics Money podcast. My name is Dr. Tommy Perkins and I'm a GP. And my name is Dr. Ed Cantelow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. And yes, you did hear that right. Not only is Ed a doctor, he's also a chartered accountant and a tax advisor. Medics Money empowers doctors and other professionals like you to make better financial decisions. So on today's podcast, it's my pleasure to welcome Jenny Stone and Alan Cook from RBP Specialist Medical Accountants. Morning, guys. Morning. Morning. So do you want to just start by giving yourself the intro, Jenny, about uh, who you are and why you're qualified to talk about today's subject? <laughs> yep. Hi, I'm Jenny Stone. I'm a partner at RBP. I've been a partner for 17 years and we only deal with GPs, doctors, hospital consultants. So I've been doing this for a very long time. And um, I think the last time I saw you, Jenny, was on our pensions webinar, which had 950 doctors on live. And that was back in July. And uh, that scared you away so long. But this is <laughs> the first time you've come back. Is that right? That's right. It's the first time I've had time for it, Tommy. <laughs> Sorry about that. It was a very popular webinar and really informative. So, uh, yeah. Um, and um, Alan, do you want to just introduce yourself to the Medics sure. Money uh, listeners? Sure. Thanks, Tommy. My name is Alan Cook. I'm a senior manager at RBP and um, I, I, I kind of head up the um, private client team within the firm and uh, just give my guidance on a tax perspective because tax is a, a subject in itself. Um, so we at RBP make sure that our clients, you know, understand the rules more so. Absolutely. And um, I'm really excited for today's episode because the two biggest questions that we get at Medics Money are, should I leave the NHS pension? And we are not talking about that today. Thank goodness, because we've done the pensions a lot recently. But the second biggest question is, should I start a limited company to save tax? And as ever, it the answer is it depends on your personal circumstances. But Jenny, do you want to just talk us through the real basics about how tax works and why it might make sense for a doctor to start a limited company. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we get this question a lot. I often get a call from um, a, a local client that might say to me, Jenny, my friend set up a limited company. They've told me I should do it to save tax. And they're saying, Jenny, can you help me do it? Well, I'd say take a step back. We need to look and see, is it right for your circumstances? So I think a lot of people kind of know they're paying 40% income tax. And then they hear that with a company, they'd only pay 19%. So straight away, they're like, well, I'm going to save lots of tax. That's not how a company works. So if I just sort of explain the basics. So a limited company is a completely separate entity to yourself. So you become a shareholder and a director. The company will pay 19% corporation tax, but that money sits in the company. So it's not your money, it's the company's money. So to get that money out of the company, you take a salary or a dividend. That is going to incur more tax. So dividends, just a very um, sort of summary, is when you take a dividend out of the company, first 2000 is 0% tax. Um, assuming you've got no other income and you've just got this company you're taking dividends from, the next um, 32,000 is at 7.5% and then everything above that is at 32.5%. So if you then sort of say, okay, my company is going to pay corporation tax at 19%, I'm going to take that money out and pay 32.5%, you're not going to save money. So one of the first questions I always ask somebody is, is do you need to take all of this money out of the company? Because if you do, you're not going to save any tax. So I think that's very, you know, and sometimes you're talking to, especially sort of locums who might be saying, yeah, I need all of that money. So it's not going to save tax. Where I think it helps and it can save tax, so there's there's a lot, there's sort of, I suppose, some different, depending on your circumstances. So some people, you might have a hospital consultant who has obviously got employment income, already earning a huge amount, and they've got their private practice. So they may want to move that into a company. They might not need to take all of that money out. So the company will pay 19% on any profits it earns, but you're only going to pay further tax when you take the money out. So you can plan to leave money in the company. Um, and then you will pay it when you take it out. So some people looked at this with the taper annual allowance. I know we said we weren't going to go near pensions, but, you know, the taper kicked in once taxable income was over 110,000. So if people could live on their income, they might say, well, I'm going to put that into the company and then I haven't got taper issues with my annual allowance. That obviously has changed slightly because the taper has gone up to 200,000. So that may not be now the reason you want to sort of set that company up. Up. Um, other people might look at it with personal allowance. So again, you start losing your personal allowance from 100,000. So if send, again, if people are earning 90,000 can live on that, they might want to put some private work into a company, leave it sitting there so they keep their personal allowance. Um, and then I think the other reason why people sort of think, oh, yes, this is a great idea is they want to bring their spouse in who might not pay tax, might not have an income and bring them in as a shareholder so that they can be paid a dividend and if they're only being at basic rate, they're only paying seven and a half percent tax on the dividend rather than the 32 and a half. But I always um, and I know Alan will, will probably agree with me is you've got to be very careful in how you set up your shareholding. So company is separate and you are a shareholder. So there was years ago the revenue could challenge. So I've had clients say to me, oh, Jenny, I'm, it's my private practice. I want to set up a company. I'm going to have 10 percent of the shares and my wife's going to have 90 percent. She can't earn the money. She can't do what I'm doing in my private practice, but she's basic rate. 
great. I can give her all the all the um, the money, and then we can save a whole load of tax. The revenue would probably challenge that. You know, she's not the one going out earning the money. So you, I always when I, we're talking to clients, we have to. You've got to be very careful in the shareholding in the ratio. We always will say that the main earner should have control of the company and the bulk of the shares. Yeah, I mean that is an awesome run through about the you know who who might benefit, but definitely who might not. And I think that point that you know you explicitly said, if you need the money, as in you're going to take all of the earnings out of the company every single year, it probably does not make good sense. Um, what about other things to consider when starting a company? Because obviously your accounts are in the public domain. Um, there's, we said we weren't going to mention the pension, but uh, as, <laughs> as far as I understand it, um, the income is not pensionable. Absolutely. And you already touched on that can, be a pro- that can be a good thing for some people, a great thing for some people with the taper. Um, um, and it can also be a terrible thing for others. And it's something that um, we see medics money, non-specialist accountants who don't work with doctors primarily, they don't appreciate these intricacies. So should we just touch on that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's definitely one other thing that I will say to locals is, yes, you might save £4,000 in tax, but you cannot pension into the NHS pension scheme any of that money. So you are losing that pension benefit. And if you are, so okay, hospital consultants will have their employment income that they're pensioning, but say a GP locum who is just doing locums may not have any other income to pension. So they may want to pension that income. So often when I'm talking to clients, you've got to take that into account. And I know, you know, there's people that say, oh, we shouldn't be in the pension scheme. But I know I'm not a financial advisor, but I know our financial advisors will say, you know, it is a very good pension scheme. You get an inflation proof pension. So you have to weigh up. It's not just looking at, yes, this is going to save me a few thousand pounds in tax. What are you also losing? Um, and pension benefit. Yeah, absolutely. You can't pension any money um, that goes the, into the company. I think it's also the bigger picture. You know, you've got to look at everything. And when you're advising somebody, all that matters at this present moment is saving money, saving the tax. But you need to, because the intricacies, as you said, Tommy, is so vast when it comes to looking at pensionable um, income. You have to make sure that you're looking at the bigger picture, what you're trying to achieve. And I know that it's a difficult thing to ask probably somebody that's at the start of their career. What are you intending to do? You know, are you a, are you going to be a portfolio doctor and you're going to be doing this for a number of years? Um, if their plan is to say that they're just going to be doing this for two or three years, then again, a limited company is not going to be worth it for you. Um, so it needs to be a bigger picture. So it's not a one size fits all subject. It's a really it really boils down to where you are in your career. What you are actually going to be doing, what you're going to be doing in the next two or three years and then you can start planning through that but because if you if you want to become a partner at a later date in a practice then running this limited company is not going to be in your interests yeah and i think that's a really really important point that you made that it's an individual decision and often as jenny said uh, doctors say oh well such and such has uh, started a limited company and saved all this tax so i'm going to do it as well well your personal circumstances might be wildly different to them and uh, so setting up a limited company might be right for them it might not be they might have just done it on limitedcompanies.com formations or whatever yeah. <laughs> um which does happen um but it, well, it people, might be, sorry, yeah. sorry, people might have independent funds so independent from their work, so they can do it. 
So, yeah. you know, not everybody's exactly the same. Yeah. So it has to be, has to be tailored for the individual. And I think that's one of the things I say when we get these calls that my friend has told me I should do this. You've got to say, right, well, what are your circumstances? If you're going to look at this, we need to go through for you rather than just because somebody else. And I've had clients, I've taken on clients. I remember a client coming to me. She goes, oh, yeah, my friend said set up a company. I've set it up. Um, hadn't got a medical specialist accountant. Hadn't even known the basics that it's a completely separate entity to you. You have to have a separate bank account. You can't just touch that money like you can when it just goes in into your personal bank account from self-employed work. So she'd been receiving all this money that she thought she was doing under a company, but it had gone into her personal bank account. And I was like, well, you can't declare that as company income. So you definitely, you know, as we've always said, you need to get advice. Does Is it right for you? Um, and then also how you go about with a, a running a company, because it, it is a, you know, it's a separate legal entity to yourself. And there is more administration. There is sort of pitfalls that you can get into when you sort of have a company. And yep. The other thing, Jen, that, that that I always think is something that you really need to talk about is um, what you just touched on there is having a medical specialist. Um, because I was out of the medical, I've not always been in the medical profession, if you like, Tommy. So um, I know what it's like on the outside rather than, and you, I wouldn't have known all of this information in, in general practice. So niche, you're going into a niche market it's so, so important to get the right medical advice. I cannot, like, this is so, so important because a general practitioner, even a really large firms, won't know the intricacies of the medical world. And that's why it's so important. Yep. Definitely. Um, you're preaching to the converted on that one. That's why, that's why we started Medics Money. Um, okay. Now, um, when I talked about our webinars that we did together, Jen, and uh, on that webinar, you showed a slide which came close to breaking the internet, basically, because yeah. it's a great slide. And if you're listening to the podcast and thinking, oh, no, I'm not going to be able to see the slide, go in the show notes and there's a link there and you can see the slide that me, Jenny and Alan are now looking at because this is a brilliant slide. It just compares three options and the tax savings or otherwise from them. So you're comparing uh, self-employed with limited company. Um, so let's talk through this slide. And if you want to see it, click in the show notes and it's there. Do you want to just so we talk through it? So if you're looking at the slide, if you're looking at option one, this is just purely self-employed. So let's say you're GP locum, you have, you you are just locum. So you've earned a hundred thousand and then being self-employed, we're just going through sort of the income. So at 100,000, you still get a tax-free personal allowance of 12,500. That does start to go once you're earning above 100. And then you can see from the slide, the first 37,500 is taxed at 20%. The next is at 40%. If you are earning over 150, then we have the 45% bracket to think about. But in this example, we're not looking at that. And then there is um, class two and class four NIC. So you can see kind of what your total tax is of 32,000. So we're saying, your net annual income is 67 or 67,700. So that is if you're self-employed. So again, as I said at the start, a lot of people go, oh, I'm paying 40% tax. I could have a company and only pay 19%. Why, why would I not do this? So option two then looks at the limited company. So again, company has profit of 100,000. As I said at the start, corporation tax is at 19%. So 19,000 is a corporation tax. So again, this is when you're self-employed, you're paying income 
income tax, a company pays um, corporation tax. So you then, after corporation tax, there is 81,000. That is reserves in the company. You can choose what you decide to do with this, but let's say you need to take all of this money out. So you draw 81,000 as a dividend. So that dividend will now go on your, your income tax return. You'll have your personal allowance of 12,500. And then, as I said, the first 2,000 of dividends, there's a 0% tax rate. The next 35.5 taken up to the basic rate is at 7.5%. And then the rest is at 32.5%. So when we do this comparison, so again, somebody might look at this side and go, oh, well, I'm paying 13,000 on my dividends. But as a self-employed person, I'm paying 32,000. I save money. No, add the two together. So add your corporation tax, um, your income tax on your dividends. And then you can see your total tax you're paying is about 31,700. So yes, you're slightly paying less, but what I always say to people that they kind of also forget is you've got a company now. So when you're self-employed, you've got a straightforward self-employed tax return. You've got a company. So your accountant is going to need to do company accounts, which have to comply with company law. They have to do a corporation tax return as well as your self-assessment tax return. You've also then got to file stuff throughout the year with company's house. That's going to cost you more money. So, you know, we always, when we look at this at RBP, we always say, well, what are the tax savings? But also bear in mind the additional costs. So when you look at option two, if you need to take all of the money out from the company, weighing up the cost of additional accountancy fees, you're not going to save any money. So, um, you know, you've got to take into account the additional additional tax on dividends. And then option three is, so again, I think I sort of started to say extracting money out of the company. There's two ways to do it. You take a salary or you take a dividend. Now, a salary, um, so again, you're an employee. So you are a director, you're an employee. Um, you know, a salary, if you start paying above the NI limit, your company has to pay employers NI, you've got tax and NI, you've got payroll. So if you're taking a company, you're going to take an amount below the NI limit. So we've just shown on the option three, company profit is 100,000. You take your, you pay yourself a separate salary um, of eight and a half, but that obviously is going to go on your tax return because that's income for you. Corporation tax is paid, um, and then the, the net reserves after corporation tax is 74000 But again, what we're going to put, and you draw all of that out, but what we're going to put on your tax return is the salary plus the dividend. And again, we've taken off personal allowance, worked out the tax um, rates, and then shown that there is a tax saving of about 1600 but look at the additional costs you're gonna you're gonna incur. You're gonna have to run a payroll. Um, so you can see the overall saving is about five hundred pounds. So that is all about if you need to take everything out of a limited company. Obviously, if you were. Um, uh, you know, you, you let's say you were a hospital consultant, you had employment income, you had 100,000 from your private practice, but actually you were like, I don't need to take all of that out. I'm going to leave it in there. Then when you look at option two, the company is just going to pay 19%. You only pay, take that money out. You only pay tax on it when you take it out. But at some point, and I think, you know, some people might say, well, I'll just leave the money and I'll build it up and build it up in the company and I'll take it when, you know, I'll retire or, you know, so, but but actually, most most.
most doctors are going to have, you know, should have nice pensions. That means they're going to be high rate taxpayers in retirement. So even if they were taking dividends at a later date, you know, when they think, oh, well, I'll be retired and um, my income will go down, you're still likely to be a high rate taxpayer. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point that you've just raised there, because what you're saying is that you could leave the money in the company for your entire career. And then in retirement, you could take dividends or salary or whatever at the end. But if you're a doctor, you're likely to at least be a higher rate taxpayer in your pensionable income. And so even then it might be tricky. Is that is that my understanding correct? Yeah, absolutely. So I think you know, if you were thinking about leaving your money in the company to build up, what some people then will do is if they're building up quite a significant amount is you can wind the company up under formal liquidation. So this is now sort of it's really sort of getting complex. But, you know, if you've got, say, 200,000 sitting in a limited company in in the good old days, you know, you could just wind it up, pay companies house to strike the company off, and you could take all that money out. And instead of it being income, it becomes capital gains. But the government years and years ago brought in rules to stop people from just easily being able to strike these companies off um, and, and turn the money that's sitting there into a capital gain. So you would, if you've got significant amounts of money in a company, you have to do a formal liquidation, which costs thousands of pounds. And then that money sitting in there can be paid to shareholders as a capital payout. So you pay capital gains tax as opposed to income tax. Yeah. And um, important to just point out again that we're recording this on the 10th of February. The budget is coming up. Uh, so everything refers to the allowances and the, ra- the rates all refer to the current tax year. And uh, the, bar- the budget may change that. Uh, <laughs> hopefully not. We talked a bit about that beforehand. Um, I suppose the other thing that I'd like to add to that slide is um, another bigger picture thing is that when if somebody was to, to, to do this in, on a long term basis, take a dividend out, and take it out in in um, over a long period of time is um, the payment to national insurance contributions. Um, there's been a number of people that get a rude awakening when you've run a company for twenty plus twenty five years, and you've all you've been doing is taking a small salary and a dividend out. That means that you probably haven't contributed to your state pension entitlement. Um, class two on a national insurance perspective for self employed. Um, contributes towards your your state pension and the the worst thing that you can ever come across is somebody that's been doing dividend and salary salary for a number of years go to go and get their pension forecast for their state pension and realize that they've got so many years outstanding Um, and this comes as as a huge shock to everybody because therefore their state pension is not as great as what they expect it to be so again another bigger picture thing that you need to think about is state pension going to be around when you're going to be retiring? Is it of interest to you, to you now? I would suggest to everybody, yes, it is of interest because it's worth a considerable amount of money in retirement. So it's, again, bigger picture. You need to be looking at not only the tax, but the NIC as well. So it's another thing to consider. Yeah, because no NIC is paid on dividends and you take salary below the NI limit, so you're not paying any NI. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think that's one of the things that we've always talked about, you know, are they going to suddenly put NI on dividends? You know, is that something that could happen? So obviously, like you said, we're talking about this pre-budget and they are the rates, but, you know, 
pre I don't know when this rule came in, but it used to be a basic rate taxpayer didn't pay any tax on their dividends and then they bought it in to be seven and a half percent. So rates we know can change, you know, one year it's this, the next year it's something completely different. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really good point about the NI. And if you want to geek out on NI, me and Ed actually did a <laughs> podcast about NI. It was 45 minutes on NI. And uh, I was shocked. It's one of our most popular podcasts um, because no one ever explains to us about NI. Uh, so we explained about it and we get such great feedback because a lot of doctors end up overpaying NI because they've got two employments in oh, that right. year. So yep. yeah. go to the listen to that podcast. Let's not go down the NI rabbit hole today, but it's a great point that you made. Okay, so hopefully that's given you an overview. Now, here, if uh, if the two questions that I mentioned at the start, the most popular questions, the the third question that we get from doctors is, uh, I've heard that buying a Tesla via a limited company is a no-brainer. Uh, now, I'm not about to buy a Tesla. I, I'm quite happy with my 13-year-old uh, little runaround. Um, but tell me about this because, uh, yeah, it could be a good way to buy a Tesla. <laughs> Um, so I think we we when people have companies, they've always been like, oh, should my company buy me a car? And I've always been like, no, 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 no. You know this. So if your company, so remember, your company is a completely separate entity to you, and you are an employee. So this company is buying a car for you. So what you have is what's called a benefit in kind. You are being able to use the car that you haven't, you know, somebody else is providing for you. So. So in the end, you know, we would be like, no, do not put a car through a company because you are going to have the company has to pay um, employers and I national insurance on providing that benefit. And then you as the employee has to pay tax. And if you're 40 percent taxpayer, you've got to pay tax on that benefit. And when you used to look at the benefits, it was it was actually quite expensive. So the reason why I've had a few clients say to me about these um, Teslas, so a pure electric car. So um, a benefit is worth worked out is is the government set rates for you know you look at the value of the car and then the benefit is calculated by a, a given percentage so what they've done is um for a pure electric car they've said for 2021 so the tax year we are in now oh, oh sorry this is going out after isn't it um so so what they've said is up to sort of 2021 if you buy um if you provide uh, an employee with a pure electric car the the rates that the benefit is calculated at is at 0%. So your company could spend 100,000 on a Tesla. They will claim capital allowances. So essentially 100,000 is written off as a, as, you know, as a cost essentially. So there's no profit for corporation tax purposes. You as the employee, um, the benefit in 2021 was 0% of that 100,000. So there is no um, benefit in kind. However, from 21-22, it's 1%. From 22 to 24, it's 2%. So you will then start to have a benefit in kind that's calculated and you will have to pay tax on it. The company will have to pay employers. So um, 
but it's also pure electric. So when you actually start looking at the benefit in kind rules, you know, if you buy a hybrid car, then there's, you know, the, the, there's, there'll be set percentages. So I think, again, like Ellen and I keep saying, you know, if you've got a company and you're like, oh, I like the idea of buying a Tesla. Um, oh, I'm going to go out and buy one. Just don't do anything until you've spoken to <laughs> and taken advice because, you know, and again, we don't know whether these things are going to change in the budget, but there is... You know, so yes, 2021 sounded great because company could get all this tax relief and the employee doesn't, yourself doesn't have to pay um, a benefit in kind. But those rates do start to creep up. But yeah, so I think it's just, but obviously you would then have to pay for payroll because you'd have to do P11Ds, um, you know, to declare the benefit in kind and so on. So you have to bear in mind that there is an administration to dealing with that benefit in kind as well. I suppose the other thing that I would probably add to that, Jen, is you touched on capital allowances. Um, and of course, if you come to sell that car uh, and you sell it at, a, at effectively a profit of written down value, that effectively gets written back into the profit in the year that you sell it. So you may have got tax relief at your 19%, but of course, if you're bringing, if you're receiving funds for that as a part exchange or whatever, um, you have to bring that back in. Yeah or the funds that you receive back in. So effectively, you're going to be taxed on that amount in the year you receive it back in. So I always say that every, you know, the, the reliefs are exceptional exceptional because there's 100% writing down allowance in year one. But you have to remember that there's going to be a sting in the towel when you come to change that car, if you're going to change it for a different thing. or, But you have to remember that it's not, it's not a, a free lunch. There's something that comes after it. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that you just mentioned that uh, the cliche, there is no such thing as a free lunch because we're not getting into this today. But I also know that if you buy a, a car like that via salary sacrifice, there might be pensions implications. And if you're interested in that, check out our pensions webinar on YouTube because we got pretty, pretty deep into that. But yeah, that's a really good explanation of that. Okay, so um, we're getting near the end of the podcast Um here now um and i always like to end the podcast with a really easy question so um alan i think this is for you tell me about ir35 <laughs> easy right uh no i think um i think uh ir35 has come around in many different guises and um i think you know ir35 is something tommy that you could probably have a separate podcast on definitely um and you know it's something that's always going to be there um, because employees effectively, so, so effectively IR35 is really about, um, are you employee? Are you working through an intermediary? Are you self-employed? And it's really goes into NIC contributions. That's where it's really, you know, aimed at um, because if you're going through an intermediary, the, the, the national insurance is um, not going to be payable but this is going to be here forever. It's never going to go away. So IR35 is always going to be with us in one way or another. So easy question, not an easy question to answer. Yeah, I think you're right. We should definitely do a separate <laughs> podcast. I mean, you could, no, you, there are books written on There's that. There's books so, written on it. There's books uh, written on I guess on my point was to just flag it up. It is definitely yeah. relevant to what we're talking about today. Let's do another podcast on it. But if you are like decided to start your own company without advice and, you know, done like what Jenny's client did before and made a few errors, it sounds like um, IR35 is an easy thing to trip up on. Um, it so. is. And, 
there's a you know what i would also say as well is be mindful of when i said get advice from medical accountants also be mindful of the fact that there are some firms out there that that um do promote schemes um for very in, in various different guises i would always approach with caution with those sorts of schemes that could save you tax go through intermediaries um because there are many many pitfalls and to unwind such a structure and um, set of transactions is very, very difficult and very, very costly. So I would approach with caution. Yeah, great, great uh, advice. I think you've been very diplomatic about how you worded that, but um, we've got an article on our website about this <laughs> because I, I know that last year HMRC had a, I think they even had an amnesty about these kind of companies saying, look, uh, well, you might have made a mistake, come forward and we'll be kind on you. I'm not sure if that's ended now or what, but uh a yeah, lot of those those schemes are promoted occasionally to locums by the locum agency or whatever, and uh, you're sat there looking at them, thinking, "Oh my goodness, you know." We've we've um, had to unravel a couple last year, and um, it's not a pleasant experience for the individual because the individual felt that they were doing the right thing. Um, fortunately, they took some good advice, and you know, they, we've dealt with it now. But there are still firms out there, Tommy, that do promote this and we're you know at rbp we're very conservative in our approach because the the long the long story is that we want to have long-term clients that's it and give them good advice yeah definitely um okay so um that was super useful great summary as i said the link to that slide is in the show notes do you want to just give us like a real quick summary of what doctors need to sort of think about for this to sum up I think, um, a quick summary, I think, don't listen to all your friends telling you to have a limited company. I, I mean, my, my thing that I say to anybody, to be honest with you, is you need to get advice. Your circumstances are not the same as your friend or so-and-so who you work with. You need to get advice to see, is this right for you? And as I said, it's not you know, you need to, like, like Alan has said, look at the bigger picture. So yes, you might be able to save tax, but you've got to look at it long term. You know, as Alan said, you, you know, somebody might say to me, Jenny, I just want to, I'm just going to do this for years. Should I set up a company? Well, is it worth the hassle? Um, you know, we haven't really touched on kind of, you know, sort of difficulties you can get into with a company if you don't sort of run it in the right way. So I, I, I just think you have to take advice. I think if you've got extra income that you earn, that you're not pensioning, let's say it's private work, you don't need it, you, you know, a company may well work for you because you can put it into a company, pay 19%. But I think you definitely, I mean, we've talked about, you've got to think about not just tax, the pension, the bigger picture. So I, I have, whenever I speak to somebody, I always have like a, a three point thing in my head to, to discuss. And it's almost, you have to, you know, demystify the, the myth of running a limited company. Okay. Because it sounds great. It looks great. Sometimes it's not great. Um, you need to, you need to figure out whether it's actually worth it for you. That's, that's a key point to it. And also you've got to have an eye on what's going to happen in the future, um, in future budgets as well. And I don't always think that your friend down the pub could tell you what's going to be happening. So you need to take that. You need to take advice and, 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 and specialist med medical advice as well. 
Yeah, thank you so much, guys. Um, I know we're recording this in the middle of February and the filing deadline's been put back, so you're both still <laughs> manically busy. It's like January, but again, uh, I think my take-homes for it today is exactly what you said. You know, um, For some people, a limited company makes a lot of sense, um, but you need to get individualized, personalized advice from an expert. And I think it's worth pointing out as well that you know, if an accountant sets up a limited company for you, uh, they do quite well out of those fees. And there are, unfortunately, unscrupulous accountants out there who will, unfortunately, do that. Um, but you may not be any better off. And uh, the sole responsibility for paying tax ultimately ends with the taxpayer, not the accountant. So I think get the right advice from the right people uh, like RBP and all the others on Medics Money. Um, and thank you so much for your time today, guys. That was really excellent run through of what is a hideously complicated subject. Thanks, Tommy. Take care. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye now.